Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Chia Rodriguez, co-founder of Mendocino Generations, a farm alliance of over 50 heritage farmers from all corners of Mendocino County. Hi, Chia. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Chia and her husband owned River Chai Farms, where they breed unique strains of cannabis for their brand of Arcana Flowers for 22 seasons. Chia is one of six women in the cannabis industry featured in the up-and-coming film Ladybugs. The film has followed her life intimately since 2016 through trials and tribulations of the journey into the legalization of cannabis. It highlights her family's farm and the farm alliances, showing the raw intensity of becoming a legally operating cannabis farm. Wow. It is so wonderful to have you as a guest today, Chia. It has been a few years since our last interview, and I'm really looking forward to finding out and kind of catching up on what you've been able to do with your community over the last two years. Um, When we last spoke, you explained part of why you started that community, but I'd really love to hear the whole story, how you found your career in cannabis and how you know, what was it like growing up in the cannabis industry in Mendocino County? And and then what led you to becoming a community leader? <laughs> All right. Well, that's definitely a long answer coming. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I was trying to think back about when we spoke last, um, and it has been a couple years, and a lot of things has happened since then, for sure. Um to give you some background on myself, I was born and raised in Mendocino County on an alternative back-to-the-land hippie commune. Um, my father moved out here to basically get away from um, the man, as they say, you know, the government, and kind of do his own thing. He retired from um, being a school teacher and decided to move to Mendocino County um, because of a girlfriend that he had at the time. And he bought some land literally... Uh, on a whim, like the moment he saw it, he went and made a phone call and, and bought it over the phone. And, um, he'd been there ever since. And so uh, when my, when my mother and my father had me, um, I was born at home out in the country and it was quite a lot of people sort of doing the same thing. You know, it was a back to the land movement in the seventies. Um, tons of people were sort of flocking to, um, to do rural areas to just kind of get away from the city life and the political um, upheaval of the times as well. And so um, cannabis just kind of naturally was part of the the culture here as that developed, as people started homesteading and realizing like, you know, a nine to five job wasn't for them. And so um, cannabis was going for a really high rate at those times. It's very easy to live a pretty um, plush lifestyle and not really grow that much cannabis. So I, you know, grew up in that, that culture, that community, it was sort of everywhere. Um, 
my father, you know, told me, you know, you never ever want to tell anybody what I do because this was, you know, during the Reagan era and um, he could have definitely got in a lot of trouble. And so the fil- the fear was really instilled in us um, as children. And so, you know, we, we walked a very cautious line in telling people, you know, where you live even and um, what your parents did for a living and things like that. I remember you telling me in our last interview that the sound of helicopters was a you to run under a tree. Exactly. I was just going to say that again, too, because that's, you know, to give people an idea of what that was like. So we're very rural. Um, you know, we, it's about 30 minute drive from the nearest town um, out country road. So when you hear a helicopter, it's pretty weird. It's not like an everyday occurrence, right? So you hear a helicopter coming, they're circling around, you can kind of hear them in the distance. And my dad would always say, run into the shade, stand in the shade, wait for it to leave. And so, you know, I had a a reoccurring nightmare my entire life. I really haven't had it in a few years, I think, because my nervous system is relaxed now. But, um, <laughs> but you know, my my nightmare was that there was a helicopter with a searchlight um, following me through the garden in in the nighttime, um, and I was a small child, sort of like running through the the field, and so um, you know, it definitely haunted me. And it's it's something that I didn't ever want my children to have to live with and and um, experience, though they had a little bit um, before uh, Prop sixty four for sure came around. Um, you know, so we can kind of go backwards a little bit and just talk about why I started Mendocino Generations, which is a farm alliance that uh, my husband and I founded in about 2015. Um, So before uh, Prop 64 was even, you know, really an idea, people have been cultivating out in the woods, right? They've been, um, you know, on the illicit market, of course, and then sort of as um, Prop 215 came around here in California, you could cultivate six plants per person um, with a medical card. You could stack a couple medical cards. And then over time in Mendocino County, um, they changed the regulations so you could actually cultivate up to 99 plants um, with cards, with medical cards that you could stack. You'd have to pay the sheriff's department um, $100 per plant. You'd have to give them photos and have inspection with a sheriff um, at your at your plot, which was kind of nerve wracking, of course. And so that sort of started the ball rolling with us realizing that, you know, as soon as there was a pathway, we wanted to take that. So we did it. Um, And whenever there was going to be another way to be as as legal as possible, we wanted to do that. And so we have two children now, my older son is 20, and my younger son is 13. But as they were, you know, really little and growing up, we would often be out in the garden, of course, working with them, you know, um, while they were kind of playing and we're doing our work and, you know, helicopters would fly over and there would be times where we were, you know, swimming in our pond by ourselves, you know, without clothes on. (laughs) And a helicopter came right like eye level with us, we could even read what kind of sunglasses one of the guys that was hanging out of the side of the helicopter was wearing. And so, you know, my husband just gave them the the big moon and they flew away. But it was kind of like, you know, it's startling. It's scary. It's like an invasion of privacy. It's, it's um, you know, 
it's nerve wracking. And what has happened to us over the years is that we sort of became uh, a target for the training that would happen here. There was Comet. Um, there's also Camp County of, you know, there's a co- County of Mendocino Medi- Marijuana Eradication Team was Comet. Um, and these guys would sort of use us as an example because we happen to be in the flight path um, from Ukiah directly to Willits. And so they would often just, you know, they could see our 99 plants or, you know, um, our garden out there and they would use us as an example to train the other fellows uh, how to spot plants. And so, you know, we didn't like that. Of course, nobody would. Um, And so we, you know, that was part of the impetus of like, okay, when we can really do this legally, we're going to definitely do that. And so we did, we took those steps and we had a 9.31 permit, which here in Mendocino County, that's just the number of the ordinance. But, um, and then as soon as there was, you know, Prop 64 kind of came on the table, we're like, okay, well, we're doing this. We're really going to do this. And so we've been, um, cultivating with a license with the state of California since we could. We were the 12th permit in Mendocino County. And, um, you know, it has been up and down since then. There's definitely a lot of uh, problems with the program currently, with the ordinance, with the state regulations. Uh, basically, overregulation is sort of um, killing the small farmer right now. And so how did this lead to becoming a community leader and actually all of these farms together. I really am very curious about how you were able to get, you have 50 farmers that are a part of your coalition. Yeah, roughly. So right around 2015, um, we had started this brand, Arcana Flowers, um, which my husband is at the you know, the cultivator and he does the breeding too. So we had this brand going and we really wanted to keep that going. Um, we started talking to a lot of farmers. We were actually starting to open up a dispensary called Mendocino Generations. And during that time, um, we didn't get a very warm welcome from the community, actually. Um, there's a lot of what we call NIMBYs, not in my backyard people here. And even though some of the people who got up at, you know, the microphone at the Board of Supervisors meetings and things to, uh, you know, say they didn't want us there, they actually were cultivators themselves. And so there's a lot of irony in that. And, you know, people were still very much in the closet and didn't want to let it be known what they were up to, right? And even still, that's still very ever present. Um, And so we decided not to do the dispensary, but we still really wanted to do something around the name Mendocino Generations. And that just plays homage to the multiple generations of people here living in Mendocino County, and also talks about the multiple generations of the cannabis plants. And so my husband really wanted to, you know, do something with that. And it became really clear after talking to lots of our friends and neighbors, that people really wanted support, they needed sort of like a a group, um, And so we decided to create Mendocino Generations, a farm alliance. Um, And we started out with just me and, uh, you know, our farm, a neighbor, and then quickly added one other neighbor in. And then within the first year, we had 35 members. At the second year, we had 65 members. 
And then what happened through the regulatory process is that a lot of people either a decided this wasn't for them. They didn't want to, to um, be regulated and have a license or maybe they were close to retirement age and they decided that, you know, why go through all this trouble and just like be done with this. And then also some people just couldn't get through that. They couldn't initially get a license or a permit here in Mendocino County. And so through that filtration of regulation, we're, we have a group of around 50 people uh, or 50 farms rather. And, um, you know, mostly right now, there's a lot of other trade agencies around, you know, you might, so you may have heard of MCA, which is the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance. Um, there's all these different groups like, you know, the Humboldt Growers Alliance. There's there's kind of one in every sort of county and, and some that overlap into an um, umbrella for other multiple counties. And so, you know, we were feeling a little bit like we didn't have the money to really create this large organization. Um, we also, you know, it's just hard to do everything and have a farm. I was sort of doing all the stuff for Mendocino Generations and my farm too. And it was becoming extremely burdensome for me to do sales and things for farmers. Um, because before Prep 64 came, that's what I was doing. I was helping them actually move their cannabis. And so once Prop 64 came out, we decided that getting a distribution license for Mendocino Generations was not something that we wanted to do because it's super expensive. It's it's onerous. You know, it's really a challenge. And so we just sort of dropped that idea, stopped doing all the sales. And now it's kind of just like a large family of farmers who really rely on each other for support and camaraderie and community. And we do lots of events. We push and promote sun-grown cannabis in Mendocino County and Northern California, Emerald Triangle. Um, you know, we primarily work with regenerative small cannabis farmers. And, and, you know, that's our goal. We have had a few farms that were in the group that um, became super large farms. They've stacked multiple licenses and and that's just not the vibe that we're going for. And so, you know, they, they've moved on to things that work better for them. And um, we're really just here to support the small legacy cannabis farmer families. So is there anything in your background or your past that trained you or prepared you to be a community leader? Because it's it's not easy to get 50 different companies to all trust you and align i mean what was in it for how did you convince them was it they realized on their own that it was something they needed or was it a process that you had to convince them to come on board well i've always been a natural community leader so living in this um the commune that we live on um there is a sort of a resurgence of the, what we call the second generation um, where people who were like my parents' generation had children and then those children maybe moved away and then now they've come back, um, like my husband or my brother, for instance. I've always lived here. I've never actually left. But um, so the second generation sort of came back and at one point we started this um, a group with the second generationers to sort of like revitalize 
the land and the community feeling that used to be so present when we were all children and people, you know, got careers and moved on or their kids grew up and they stopped participating in all the community events like the community garden or the community school or various things like that. And so the second generation had a lot more energy and enthusiasm for those kinds of things. And so we sort of created this, you know, revitalization of the the second generation. And then also, um, you know, through my years, I've done other things like start different a doula support network or Lyme disease is very present here. Um, my family is suffering from that. Um, three out of the four of us have it in my household. And so I also started a group called the Mendocino County Lyme Disease Association to help support and give resources to people with Lyme disease. And so I've always just sort of had that natural um you just kind of draw to helping organize community and helping people. And so that's sort of how it started. Mainly it started with a pod of people from this community that we live on um, with Mendocino generations and then sort of expanded from there, from those people's friends and, and neighbors and things like that. And in far reaches of Mendocino County, we have people from Philo all the way to Laytonville. Um, you know, so there's a, a broad, group of people who are attracted to the sort of like support and family dynamic of the group um, and the friendship that you find there. And so I think the group just sort of naturally evolved because of um, because of the people that were that were really in it, not just me, but and not my husband, but it was just more like people really needed something to um, fall back on or to attach to when they're going through a hard time. And this, you know, <laughs> being in the regulated market is beyond hard. I don't, you know, I can't really explain it to people that aren't in the regulated space very well. Um, it's, it's a real challenge. So um, yeah, I guess that's kind of, you know, the, the reason why Mendocino generations came about and, and why it continues to be something that people want to be involved in. Um, we do a lot of different, you know, events, networking, things like that. Well, pre COVID anyways, so ho hopefully someday we'll be able to do that again and see everybody in person. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. What blocks have you run into being a leader because you're a woman? Mm. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and, you know, it's it's been a challenge, I think, for with Mendocino Generations, it wasn't so much about me being a woman at all. I think that people just um, felt feel comfortable with me, you know, helping them with sales and all these different things that was happening. But where I really ran into issues where people, um, men specifically had issues with me was when I was doing sales with a distribution company. And when I was doing sales for these farmers, um, with distribution companies. And a lot of times I would get, you know, kind of, like, what do you know? You know, like, well, I'm a second generation cannabis farmer. I've been cultivating longer than you've been alive. You know, um, I'm going on my 23rd year of, of cultivating on my own farm. And I grew up doing that and following my dad and learning his tricks and techniques, you know. And so, um, you know, that was, I think, a challenge for some men in the industry. Like, you know, who is this young girl thinking, you know, she knows more about uh cannabis 
cultivars than I do or something like that. And, and I don't know everything and I never claim to, but I definitely feel like I have a good background and felt like I really do understand quality cannabis. And when you're, you know, smelling a hundred bags of different kinds of, of weed in a distribution warehouse, you know, there's a lot to be said about all those different strains, where they come from, the quality of the cultivation techniques, the quality of the farm, all the different things that come along with selling. And I would get a lot of pushback um, and a lot of negative comments, for sure. Um, definitely had some really chauvinistic things happen to me. Um, really inappropriate stuff as well, you know, um, being shut in a warehouse with some men sometimes can be a challenge too, right? So um, definitely got pushed back there and, and felt pretty uncomfortable a few times for sure. How many women farmers are in your community? Oh, wow. Um, that is a great question. I don't really know stats on how many women farmers are in Mendocino County, but in Mendocino Generations, the Farm Alliance, we had um, about a third of the farmers were women owned and operated. So like my farm, for instance, my husband owns the license and he does the main part of the cultivation, but I do all the sales, processing, licensing, paperwork, all that kind of stuff, right? So it's hard to know exactly because the women definitely hold up half the... <laughs> half the sky here. So, um, but there, I, I would say in Mendocino County, because of the legacy nature of cannabis cultivation for the last 50 plus years here, you have tons of homesteading women, um, out in the middle of, you know, the woods in Humboldt County or Trinity County or whatever doing their thing. And they're just, you know, they've been there rocking it. Women really have, a an affinity towards cultivating plants and gardens and flowers and all the things that go along with that. And I find that a lot of the women who are cultivating specifically have the most beautiful gardens because they're really in it for the aesthetics too. Um, and they make it just like a really beautiful space to be in. And I appreciate that. Are the women in the industry, the women that you work with, these farmers, are they dealing with legalization and regulation better than the men? I don't know if the women are dealing with it better than the men uh, necessarily. I find that a lot of the women um, are just like, they deal with stress differently than men. I mean, I just know that from my own relationship that my husband is thinking about a different list of things that stress him out than I am. Right. So a lot of the women are doing the paperwork and the organizational pieces of compliance, which is really tricky. Um, you know, personally in my household, my husband would be lost without me doing all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, I'm laying there awake at night, freaking out about, um, California Environmental Quality Control Act and things like that, um, where my husband, you know, is thinking about, oh, gosh, I have to start seeds or, oh, did I, you know, water that thing or whatever is going on in his mind. So I think we just everybody internalizes stress in such a different way. And, you know, personally, for me, it comes out with physical pain. That's how I like when I have a lot of stress, that's what happens with me. And so, you know, it's, it's a balance. And I think that self-care is so important. It's something that we don't 
do for ourselves. And as cannabis farmers, we work year round, you know, we really don't have days off anymore. We used to, we used to be able to start seeds in March and finish in November and either sell everything or tuck it away and go on vacation for a couple months and just relax. And these days with over-regulation, there is really no breathing room. It's really hard to even go on a vacation. I mean, during COVID that's not happening anyways, but, um, you know, in, in years past, it's like, I wish I could just put that away and go on my retreat and not have to check my email, but it doesn't really work that way. Um, so, you know, I, I hope that people can take some time for true self-care. And that's something that's really hard for farmers and this regulated space to do. What is it that you are most excited about and most concerned about in the next two years regarding cannabis policy locally and federally? Currently on the table right now for um, the thing that I'm most stressed out about um, is what I alluded to a moment ago, which was CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Control Act. Um, That is something that a lot of businesses have to deal with when they're changing the um, scope of the property that they're starting a project on or or working on. So. Typically, it's not something that um, agricultural businesses have to deal with. And cannabis is one of the only agricultural crops that has to comply with CEQA. And we're dealing with that in a huge way right now. It actually might um, sort of lead to an unfortunate extinction event of legacy cannabis farmers in California. And we're looking and talking about upwards of 80% of the existing licenses in California may not be able to get through this CEQA process and comply with all the different agencies that are involved in that. 80%? Yes. Um, And that's because the way that the California Prop 64 regulations were written was um, including CEQA, which it was a little bit short-sighted by the state. Um, They're actually sort of shooting themselves in the foot by wiping out most of their licenses and all that tax revenue, et cetera. So um, this is something really huge that's on the table right now that a lot of us farmers are dealing with. Um, There's also the issue of expansion that is on the table currently. And somebody like me, I live in very rural on the side of a hill. I have very limited water. I only have the water that I captivate in my catchment ponds during the winter. And so we're in a drought. And for the last couple of years, the water has been a severe problem. And in fact, we've had to cut off certain parts of our garden at a certain point in the season, unfortunately, um, because of the lack of water. And we're not allowed to get water delivered unless it's a permitted water delivery company, et cetera. So it's, you know, they're making it very, very hard on us. But also, um, you know, this this idea of expansion is great for people who have prime ag land with plenty of water, but nobody in California has plenty of water. I mean, there are little pockets here and there, some beautiful places, you know, maybe in Covelo or, you know, other aquifers that are providing plenty of water and they aren't seeing a drop during the day. But where I live, my well, you know, drops significantly um, when all the agricultural crops around in my valley are, are, um, you know, in the high heat using a lot of water. So, that's another big problem for us. Um, and the idea on the table is to be able to expand to 10% of your acreage. Um, 
somebody like me, I have 10,000 square feet. That's about a quarter of an acre and I can't expand beyond that. Um, and so I, I feel a little bit, um, I don't, I don't want to hold anybody back from doing their thing, but I also want to be conscious for the entire state about our water usage. Um, not only for cannabis cultivators, but also for people that just reside in the state of California. We're just, you know, why do we need to cultivate 10% of our acreage um, in order to, to still perpetuate the brand of the Emerald Triangle or Mendocino County or your personal brand, right? And so, um, you know, that we're talking about federal legalization and interstate, all these things, uh, maybe, you know, outside of the United States at some point, but we just don't have the water for it. It's a, it's a really big problem. And so um, something that excites me, <laughs> let's go the other direction. Um, on a positive note, you know, I'm really excited about uh, the unique cultivars that pop up here and all the amazing science that's coming out right now about um, terpenes and the, you know, entourage effect and all these different constituents that we're learning so much every day about um, that we re really never knew so much about before. And um, for me, my brand, which is Arcana Flowers, um, we just started a blog with a, a, an amazing scientist writer who's doing some really unique research in Canada at a lab that she works at and doing some, some writing for us on our website. So um, people can go there and see a couple of recent articles from her. Um, there's so much new research coming out. And that for me is like this plant, it just, it speaks to the power of this plant, right? It speaks to the healing um, capacity of this plant. And we've only uncovered just a tiny, tiny bit of the potential. It's kind of like when you think about the ocean, we've only discovered like four or 5% of what's in the ocean. It's kind of, I feel like comparing it to cannabis, right? Well, it's so true. And, you know, I've been around cannabis. I grew up in Northern California. I've been around it my entire life. But it wasn't until I got into the cannabis industry that I really learned all of the things about it, our endocannabinoid system. I didn't know what terpenes were. I didn't understand the complex nature of the plant itself. And I can't even imagine what it must be like for you having been around it your entire life and every day still learning new things as if you just discovered it. Yeah, for sure. Well, the really cool thing is now with, with testing, you know, if, if we're going to sell something, it has to be tested, right? And if you're going to sell it on the retail level, um, California has put out uh, regulations around exactly what types of testing needs to be done for something to, for somebody to consume that product. And um, terpenes are on that list. They're not a requirement um, at this time, but um, they're, you know, the, the testing for terpenes has, has broadened so much since it first came out. And now I, I don't even know how many terpenes that the lab that we were working with has on the list, but it's really amazing to see each strain every time we test it to see what comes out of that. Um, and so I, I would love to learn, you know, learn more as those testing capabilities evolve and the products that evolve around the possibilities um, and all these other, you know, amazing parts of the cannabis plant that we don't even hardly talk about yet. So it'll be really neat to see um, down the road what what's to come still. So what's the most recent thing that you've learned about the plant that's just blown your mind? 
<laughs> so all this time you did not know. Oh gosh. Um, I, I don't know right off the top of my head, but um, you know, been just reading some of these, the blogs and things that, um, that this writer has been putting out for us. And it just re is reaffirming to me that the reasons why I'm so drawn to this plant and why people have so much almost like miraculous healing. Um, you know, there's so many stories of miraculous healing from cannabis, from cancers and all these other things, epilepsy and stuff that, you know, it really just brings you right back to like, well, of course, like what couldn't be helped by this plant at this point, right? Whether it's just the terpenes alone and not even talking about cannabinoids or, you know, CBD or THC or the, you know, other cannabinoids as well. Like there's so much potential here with this plant and, and even fresh juicing. That's something that is really exciting to me that we're not really doing except on, you know, people who have access to a farm or to leaves or plants um, because of the regulatory nature of this industry, you can't test something that's freshly juiced and then drink it fresh in a dispensary. So, you know, that I would like to see something like that come about um, and the phytocannabinoids and these, uh, you know, the cannabis acids that are there um, on the fresh plant have so much healing power too. We haven't even really tapped into that yet. Yeah, I have just recently discovered the power of raw hemp flower, and it has—it's extraordinary the difference that it has made. And I'm a big believer in the raw flower now. It's a lot of power there, but it happens before the acid formations turn into the THC and the CBD that we use after it has processed. So there's—it's just raw, uh, decarboxylated. It, it's two different universes, and it—you're right. It is like exploring the ocean, getting to really understand the plant. And I've talked to several scientists and they each have their own vertical of interest. And there are thousands of scientists working on very specific individualized uh, pieces of understanding, you know, whether it's extracting new cannabinoids or developing new strains or finding out how it interacts with different diseases. It's just an endless endless amount of information we're going to learn about how cannabis moves about the world coming up. It's, it is very exciting. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and having the advantage of having a farm and a nursery and a breeding program, we get to play around with different genetics. Um, and, and it's like finding the magical unicorn. You never know when you're going to find it and, and which seed you start or which you know, plant you cross with another plant's pollen, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So it's really exciting to be able to play around with that and have the the opportunity to do so and, and testing those things and playing around with them. I, right now we're doing a funny little experiment on the farm. Um, there's a plant called Freak Show. And I don't know if if uh, you've seen that, but it literally looks like a fern. It doesn't even look like cannabis. It's pretty amazing. And um, Humble Seed Company is selling these these seeds. And I have been wanting to get some for a while and I didn't go purchase seeds at a dispensary because you can't, as a licensed farm, buy a seed at a dispensary, put that into your metric, cultivate that on your farm and then sell it. It's not possible, unfortunately. So I was hoping to find those genetics through another nursery or another, another farm. Um, and so 
I did. I got some crosses of that this year and I want to cross it with something that's truly a Mendocino strain because I want to call it the Mendocino shit show <laughs> because because of the current regulations that we're going through and all the upheaval that's happening at the county level. I thought that would just be a, a really funny name of a strain to put out there and get some some notoriety pretty quickly. <laughs> I love that. That's a great idea. <laughs> Well, what else are you excited about in 2021? What do you have in store this year? Well, it's interesting because we, we're we actually downgrading slightly um, because of the water scenario. And so I'm excited to put some more time into other things. Um, cannabis is my life and it's 24-7 and it's really a challenge sometimes to sort of escape that. Um, you know, my, my kids are, my younger son is at home doing school on a computer and it would be nice to just, I'm really looking forward to just kind of like relaxing into not having to drive somewhere every day and go to a job. I can work from home and being here to spend more time, um, fixing up my property and, and our place and, and doing a lot of really fun projects here, um, that aren't just with cannabis. What advice do you have for women farmers around the country who might be listening to this, who are inspired by the idea of being able to create a community of farmers in their region? What do you have to, what advice can you give them in starting it in managing it and in making it a successful experience for all those farmers? Hmm. Well, I guess that would depend on which state you're in and, um, you know, kind of what the, the climate is like in your area politically um, as well. But just kind of going back to the formation of Mendocino Generations, we were trying to start a co-op initially, which does have its benefits for certain reasons. But over time, we realized that the co-op wasn't for us. And part of the reason for that is that a cannabis co-op has to cap at a certain amount of acres. And that would not include very many farms from Mendocino generations. So we'd have to start multiple co-ops, which would just be kind of a logistical nightmare. So we decided not to do that and just keep it as an alliance. Um, but I think that if you can do that and you have a small group of farmers, um, having a, a co-op has many benefits for you, whether it being, you know, just bulk buying discounts and things like that um, can be very helpful. Um, in terms of, you know, other tips and advice, I, you know, I guess it just really depends on what your goal is and what you're trying to achieve through gathering a group of farmers together. It is a complete challenge. It is, you know, overwhelming in, in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons in every different particular region. And Mendocino County and the Emerald Triangle it has its own you know, obvious particularities with this heritage culture that we've had for decades. And, you know, one thing that's sort of happening right now, which has started making me think about organizing in a different way, is around the idea of branding regions or branding your county as a way of creating tourism around cannabis. Mm. So I think that that's sort of the next level that we're getting to in this regulated space is that now as you know, we've sort of laid the 
laid the stones of the path down. We are starting to walk on them. And and now we get to bring in the fun and exciting parts that we had pre-regulation. We used to do a lot of really amazing outdoor events and different kinds of farmers markets where you could buy vegetables, you could buy flowers, you could buy your cannabis, and you could talk directly to the farmer. And that's something that we lost through Prop 64 regulations. Um, and it's something that we'd like to get back again to have in the same way that it was. Basically, nowadays, you could still do markets, but it all has to run through a distributor and a dispensary doing the sales for you. It's very tricky. And it's hard to find a network that supports those different components that can work together cohesively and still have this feeling of sort of this open marketplace where there's comfort and ease and you could still smoke a joint while you're buying your weed outside and talk to the farmer all at the same time and, you know, maybe have a, you know, a food there, food vendors and things like that, or music and, and really create a sense of community through those events and something that we're really missing. So, you know, maybe that's something that um, somebody who has a fabulous organizational skills, especially in our region, could help bring back and organize people to do something like that again. And there is um, glimmers of that happening. I'm hearing from just yesterday or the day before from a woman in our area who started a, a coalition to do just that. And that got me really thinking about, wow, I really miss that. And that's something that is really wonderful to have in in this space because cannabis is a social plant. Nowadays we're stuck at home and COVID, but we're really still finding a lot of ways to connect with people through Zoom or, you know, through these different kinds of events, right? We're so desperate for that as humans to connect with people and cannabis is a, a tool for connection. So yeah, I'll just leave it there, I think. And if women want to reach out to you, learn more about you, how do they get in touch? Sure. Well, there's lots of ways to do that. Something that I didn't mention is that I'm uh, one of the six women in the Ladybuds documentary that's just about to launch um, and have the premiere, which is coming in uh, the release of the where the premiere is going to be is coming out in March. So look forward to that. And you can find that on ladybudsmovie.com. You can watch the trailer there and um, support that finalization of the film being made there's still a, a gofundme for that happening as well and you can find me on arcanaflowers.com you could find me on mendocinogenerations.com and then also on social media we have a page for all those all of those things plus my farm uh, my farm is called river shy farms it's the first word is r-i-v-e-r and then t-x-a-i and that's my older son's name um, so Rivershy Farms on Instagram. We have Arcana Flowers on Instagram, Mendocino Generations on Instagram as well. So all over the place and on Facebook as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tia, for your time and sharing your journey with us today. Ladies, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our website, womenempoweredincannabis.com and find your group, Supply Chain, CBD and Hemp, and the recently launched Women of Color group. Women Empowered in Cannabis is a community that provides resources, connections, events, and content to women working in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. 
We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or are curious about taking the leap into the industry. Join us next week for another conversation with women leading in cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.